born in the pandemic era, thriving in the Zoom era, it's Resonance Rewind with Robin Pierce, Jessica Burtis, Pamela Sue Mann, Jonathan Lindsley, Jenny Bill, Kathy Manzo, Alex Lefchuk, and more, sharing lessons from the creatives of yesteryear for the population of today. The ever-dwindling population, because quite frankly, we're still in the pandemic era. In the 23rd century, humans have colonized the solar system. The UN controls Earth. Mars is an independent military colony. The inner planets depend on the resources of the asteroid belt. Belters live and work in peace. In the belt, air and water are more precious than gold. For decades, tensions have been rising. Earth, Mars, and the Belt are now on the brink of war. All it will take is a single spark. Sounds like a vital case for Resonance Rewind. Sasaki Robin, I wonder if he's going to join us or will he actually be lost in the expanse somewhere? Nevertheless, Residence Rewind continues and we do have a Jenny Bill back with us and of course, ace actor extraordinaire and director and artist. Let's not forget, he's developed a whole new range in terms of portrait art- artistry over the last few years, uh, Jonathan Lindsley. Uh, so Jenny, hello. welcome. Welcome, hello. Good, and Jonathan, obviously good to see you as well from that point of view. Uh, and Hello, uh, Alex. Yeah, clearly sort of a little bit stressed by the fact that Wales have to beat Scotland or the Ukraine to then actually go up against England in the World Cup finals this year. Uh, he's been a little bit late. He's just come back, flown back from Qatar. Uh, we can say, Sasaki Robin Pierce, would you like to give us a little praise of the uh, Dulcinea season one, episode one of The Expanse? Well, yeah, um, I've tried to put together a kind of precy of what I saw in watching this episode, um, but it didn't come out coherently at all. So I, I'm, I'm basically just going to say a captain and his crew were investigating a distress call from a mysterious ship and a t- detective begins a search for a missing heiress. Now, that's all I got from the episode. Um, I'm going to read just for the uh, edification and enlightenment of our listener. 
Um, the official blurb about the series as a whole, um, which might give a little bit more insight what we're talking about. And it reads, hundreds of years in the future, or specifically the 23rd century, uh, things are different than what humanity is used to after humans have colonised the solar system and Mars has become an independent military power. Rising tensions between Earth and Mars have put them on the brink of war. Against this backdrop, a hardened detective and a rogue ship's captain come together to investigate the case of a missing young woman. The investigation leads them on a race across the solar system that could expose the greatest conspiracy in human history. So basically, all I've seen is a fragment of world building, and no way could I have come up with what I've just read. Indeed, we don't actually see the uh, first character, uh, Ms. Jenny Gao, until uh, later on in the production. I think it's episode nine uh, when she actually appears. So it's it's a bit of a long game, this, in more ways than one. But uh, as ever, I think we'll uh, we'll turn to our team and find out what they make of Dulcinea. Of course, uh, riffing very much on the uh, girl who doesn't really exist in, of course, the uh, uh, classic Don Quixote aspect. Indeed, the uh, the ship that they actually used later on in the series is called the Rosinante. So maybe some Don Quixote Cervantes lines coming across there. Jonathan, I'll come to you first, actually. Uh, what, what did you make of uh, Dulcinea? Well, like Robin said, really, um, I felt that this um, was a start to what is inevitably going to be a very long game, a long story. And as a result, uh, to be truthful, I got a bit bored to begin with. Um, I didn't really care for any of the characters. That was my problem. Um, I didn't actually like anybody. So as a result, I kind of didn't care what happened. Um, and also, I didn't know who I was supposed to like, if you see what I mean. Um, and they all seemed a bit either smug or flawed to me in one way or another. And I like my heroes a bit more clean cut and a bit more kind of together than the people I saw in this particular episode. However, um, I thought it had its moments of tension. I thought it had its moments of, uh, of, of, of interest for me. Um, <clears throat> but like a lot of these programmes, it seemed to dwell on a, on a lot of um, close ups of, of various spacey type things and, uh, and lack of gravity. And um, that I didn't understand the, the section on Earth where they'd captured somebody who was hanging from some what appeared to be two hooks and being tortured with water. I didn't quite, I presume that was waterboarding of some description. Um, but as I say, it was a, it was a, a complex um, plot and, and I didn't really care about following it, to be honest with you. But who knows, I might watch another one. Based originally on the very popular series by James S.A. Corey, who isn't a real author. The name James S.A. Corey is actually a combination of Ty Frank and uh, Daniel, uh, who collectively, both of them write uh, the uh, series, uh, The Expanse and the, the universe of The Expanse. This is something which, again, has opened up. It's, it's proven to be extremely popular. It's run for six seasons already. Uh, I think the sixth one could well be the last. So uh, six odd episodes working through that process like Jonathan and possibly like Robin I must admit I did think well this is just Blade Runner mixed with Ridley Scott's Alien mixed with a few other bits and pieces set in the solar system but let's find out what Jessica Burtis when she's not time traveling from Thursday to Friday is all about maybe again Jessica like Robin 
very excited about the draw for the uh, FIFA World Cup in which England, we are in the same group as the United States of America and play the USA the day after Thanksgiving, Jessica. Really? I had no idea. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I, so I have watched the, this episode of The Expanse once for um, a creative writing class at Lincoln when I was studying abroad there. Um, I, I didn't remember very much. I remembered it had a very grungy kind of look to it. Um, and it deals with um, different class relations. So I thought it was kind of interesting where in this, um, it's, it's you know, far in the future and it kind of focuses on like the working class on um, the, the belters who kind of do like all the hard labor and other planets, um, earth kind of reaps the benefits of it. Um, and I like how uh, distinct the belters were. Like I like that they had their own language um, this like Belter Creole because I it always bugs me in sci-fi when like they have a whole other planet that's like you know hundreds of years in the future and they're still speaking like English like now um there's no mention of another language or anything so I enjoyed that um I felt it was very realistic and this is I don't know I think it's very believable um that the future could exist like this maybe not with the UN controlling the whole world but like um just where other planets are used as just labor for earth um I feel like in an age where we're talking about um, workers and like Amazon, I feel like there's a big debate around Amazon right now with how giant it's become and how it treats workers, right? So I think that's an interesting discussion to kind of frame in a sci-fi way where it's like leading to like a whole planetary war. Um, it is a show that I want to keep watching, but I do agree with Jonathan that like as a resident right now, maybe I just, I'm not very attached to the characters. Um, I kind of am having a hard time like getting into the individual characters, but maybe that gets better as the show goes on since like Alex, you pointed out, it's gone on for like six seasons. So people must like it for a reason. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting that we've criticized other shows in the past. And I seem to recall that a fight scene went on too long in slow motion with an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man for being too, too long. And yet this is one which actually is a slow burner. This actually is something where, I was actually thinking, really, I should possibly have said watch two episodes to at least get a handle on how the thing's actually shaping up. And arguably the first season, the first 12 episodes kind of address this. You then find out about the Machiavellian nature of uh, a Christian Avasaralo from the UN. Uh, and she actually, uh, again, the, the actress Sholray uh, Agdashlu, and apologies for the pronunciation there, but again, uh, a, a sort of wonderful, almost Joan Collins-esque uh, work of how to actually manipulate and work through that. The realism, very much true to form, because obviously if you are without gravity, your bones will also, will, will effectively sort of start working. So again, that sort of enlarged uh, bones and system from that, from the belters, I thought worked quite, quite nicely. Jenny, your thoughts? So I thought you were going to come to somebody else before me. You took me by surprise. Um, I had never, ever heard of this programme before. And I actually, I watched it this afternoon. Uh, and and um, I absolutely loved it from the moment it started to the very end. I absolutely loved it. It's right up my street. I loved it. I thought it was like watching a movie. I forgot that I was watching a TV series. And when it came to the end of the episode, I was like, oh, no, it's like, oh, damn. And I thought, right, that's it. I'm going to watch the next one straight away. But then I had to pay to watch the next one, join Amazon Prime. So I thought, oh, OK, I'm going to sort that out another day because obviously the first episode was free. But yeah, I mean, I like a slow burner. I love sci-fi. I just absolutely love the whole thing from start to finish. It's it's right up my street. And um, 
I think this is the first thing of everything we've watched so far in over a year that I'll be thinking about watching um, some more of it and getting hold of the rest of the, the episodes. Well, there you go. Yeah. The showrunner is, of course, Naren Shankar, <laughs> who has got a lot of uh, history with respect to the Star Trek universe, so he emerged as part of the writers of Star Trek The Next Generation. And I think there are elements within that, including the fact it's set in the 23rd century. But somebody whose music will still be resonating throughout the 23rd century is indeed Pamela Suman. And you've also been inspired to give a selection. But what did you make, Pamela, of The Expanse episode one? Well, I have to say, um, I'm so... It's so nice, like, I'm just really moved by, shocked, because I wasn't expecting her to say that, but I, I feel like maybe there's something wrong with me, <laughs> because I think I'm like a baby, and I have to be hooked in by the obvious things, or maybe not so obvious things, but the things that get me, you know, and I, I felt like I was bored, I couldn't, I couldn't invest myself, and I was how cool the sound effects were and how cool the beautiful the actors were and how I couldn't really differentiate them from each other but they all looked so good and they had amazing close-ups well as long as the good the close-ups and the good things are there for some reason Pamela we still seem to be losing one in every four or five words from your delivery I think we managed to decode it and we sort of be able to to, to, to fill those bits and pieces in there but we were just losing a few sort of items there but i think we got the general gist um why then did you actually have uh the selection from uh your again one of your uh, awesome recent albums fire fallen uh or why have you gone for fire fallen as uh, a piece of music which you felt actually inspired or was inspired by this is this better can you hear every word i'm saying as opposed to every five words uh yeah, yeah, sorry. So to re to recap, I don't know, I couldn't, it, my attention was too skewed, so I couldn't get into it. Those things that I was going to leave it up to the universe. And, and uh, the song came to mind, I didn't think about it intellectually, I just thought it would go. And it does go, it, it goes, especially at the end, she's like, I have something to tell you or whatever it was. And then it was like, you know, and I was pregnant or something. I don't know. But yes, so Fire Fallen is perfect thematically. On a petal pale of green Rest the slightest drop of dew Tender shivers in the wind I think of you From the sandstorm billion years Shapes a silhouette in view Blinding densely in the light I think of you
The choice Pamela Suman in terms of inspirational music. Of course, the music uh, composed, which we'll hear excerpts of by, uh, uh, I believe, Clinton uh, Shorten, who uh, is the, the sort of composer of this. Hadn't actually heard of his work before, uh, but again, intriguing in terms of his, his approach. I think Clinton Shorter. Uh, is the official line from that. Um, Robin, was indeed the um, uh, blonde navigator the character who you were just beginning to get interested in, and then suddenly, suddenly, you won't see her again? Well, I had never seen this show before, and I'd heard its name in passing, knew nothing of it. So I checked it out yesterday. And I've got to say, I did not dislike it, because I didn't realise it was going to be quite the long haul that it was and that the opening episode was basically just scratching the surface um, because we got to briefly know a ship's captain, we got to briefly know a Rick Deckard type detective played by Thomas Jane we got to briefly know some other people it built the world beautifully but because it's so panoramic, there's so much to process. 
the information had to be delivered, I feel, quite slowly and deliberately. I was quite interested in the in the detective. Um, I thought that was a good story and was filmed very film noir-like, which is, is you know, straight into uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Um, okay, I, I did not expect my first uh, sight of uh, two crew members to see them uh, doing the dance with no pants in zero gravity. <laughs> and it seems that, yes, uh, some muscles and bones will atrophy in, in zero gravity, um, but apparently not all of them. Let's move away from that. Um, I thought that the, um, the, the blonde was going to be some sort of Ripley-esque character, but as you've already said, she was blown away at the end of the episode. And she was somebody that I was, you know, kind of gravitating, see what I did there, towards, because I thought she was she was going to be a strong kind of female, um, take no prisoners, boot in, uh, rear end kind of character. But, you know, she's now spread across the cosmos. Um, I would be interested in seeing some more because I'm... It, it was good, and it seemed to be on the cusp of being very good, but it needs time to, to fully be realised, which you just don't get in a 45-minute episode. Um, I was interested in hearing what, um, what you had to say, Pamela, about the sound, because I was watching it on the TV that's just behind me, and it's hooked up to a virtual... 5.1 surround system and it just resonated i mean you know the, the the different sound effects i was i was sitting here i was just you know i i had a really dorky look of complete satisfaction on my face thinking wow this sounds like you know sort of thx <laughs> that deep hum whenever something passed and i was really impressed with that so yeah it wasn't a wasn't a complete loss by any means but to me the story is far from complete
quoting from the authors themselves, The Expanse is at its heart a collaborative project. As a series of novels, it began with the two of us. As a television show, it grew to include the effects of literally hundreds of talented, engaged artists with specialities in set design, visual effects, acting, sound and lighting design, editing and dozens more. It does actually have its roots very much for science fiction fans, of course, in the writing of Larry Niven, Arthur C. Clarke, Harry Harrison, Alfred Bester, it's a it's large-scale space opera stuff jessica um it wasn't actually my class that you, you watched the expanse in because that wouldn't have worked but it was the creative writing element um now you've had a chance to review it again or, or see that does it does it kind of connect more do you think actually there are a number of interesting lines here including of course the fact that the belters are apparently the nice guys it's the manipulative uh, earth people the earthers and the dusters of, of the Mars military colony that effectively are, are really kind of at each other's throats and looking to grab hold of that chunk of ice because water is so much more important than gold or other precious items. Yeah, I do think that it's an interesting story. Um, and I, I feel like any time that um, a sci-fi show is more like gritty and a bit more um, <clears throat> about like, the average person like I'm I'm a sucker for any time there's like a space thing with like you know space emperors and whatever I think that's so fun but um I do think that there's something really important about sci-fi that deals with um kind of the average people like in this they're not most of them are not like you know very high up in power it seems they kind of always answer to somebody else um and I feel like a lot of sci-fi deals with problems that we have now, but just in like a futuristic setting um, and kind of talking about like gauging where it's going to go in the future. And so I think the whole um, discussion with class in this show is just very interesting. Um, and I know I said I don't really like any of the characters yet, but I do think that they were written with interesting storylines and that each one of them kind of felt like they had a role to play and made me more curious about them um kind of like how the lady that was um interrogating the um the belter like you know we would see her one moment playing with her grandson and being very forgiving about him pranking her and then the next you know she's like oh i don't care if this man dies like if he doesn't die let me come back call me on I'll, I'll keep interrogating him um so i feel like the characters are very interesting and i feel like sometimes in sci-fi um the, the characters and their characterization can get left behind in favor of world building. Um, but in this, I felt like both were balanced quite well because I was interested in the world and I wanted to know more about how we got there and how Earth was like this um, aggressor kind of like enslaving people. Um, and also how the characters are going to respond to that since they have like, they're, they're the lowly ones kind of that are um, working for others. So. I think that it's a show that I want to keep watching um, and I, I appreciate it a bit more now. Uh, the philosopher Michael J. O'Neill writing in The uh, Expanse and Philosophy, uh, talking about characters, addresses this aspect. One of the most important characters in The Expanse is not named in the credits. It cannot compete for our attention with Avasarala's Machiavellian cleverness, with Naomi's resourcefulness, or even with Holden's dreamy hazel eyes. But this character is on screen almost constantly. The fact is, it is on camera more than any character in the credits. It is the infinite. 
And he talks about the notion of infinity and the relation of that, and also how that ties in with the point Robin was making about the darkness, the cinematography, the set design of The Expanse, making extensive use of uh, chiaroscuro, of course, the artistic technique that's used in the history of painting. So you get that element in there. Use of dark shadow, contrast of light and dark, creating the illusion of three of, 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 of three dimensions on a canvas and so on, really echoing sort of Rembrandt, Caravaggio and other areas within that. Um, it's proven to be a huge success academically uh, and has been, has, has, is really sort of growing on that basis. So, Jonathan, does this tempt you to, to, to go for more? Or is it just a case of, well, that just proves that clearly folk, folk don't know what they're talking about? Well, um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated um, by uh, Jessica's point about the, um, the, the, the sort of allegory element of it, which is that working class people are sort of the heroes of this and the capitalists who run the earth um, and and sort of represent kind of the United Nations of Earth. And then there's the, the Martians who are clearly the Russians in this and, and, and the kind of, um, they've become a militarized power. So I suppose there's an element of that, which, which is interesting. I, the thing that struck me really, and, and having been a fan of sci-fi for quite a long time myself was um, how this, the, the starting premise for the writing of this particular piece um, completely ruled out any kind of mechanization or robots or anybody doing the work. Um, and it struck me as it seems to what happened to human existence if in, in nearly 300 years after today, when we're mechanizing car plants and things like that, we can't manage to produce water or, or, um, or oxygen without using robots who therefore wouldn't need water or oxygen. And therefore, it would be a lot easier to just mechanize the whole thing. I guess we needed to have a story about human existence. So um, we just kind of wrote off the idea of robotics and 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 mechanical creatures. Um, but anyway, that was just a, a, a sort of impassing thing that I watched and was a bit disappointed in. Um, however, I don't know really. I can't. I can't. I can't really speak about this because it was such a slow burn, and I would like to see more of the series. But I would like. A, I kind of like to have seen a condensed version of this. So I sort of saw maybe three episodes in forty-five minutes instead of one episode in forty-five minutes. Which I have to admit, there were serious moments where I was bored by this. The whole thing was boring to me. Um, but I didn't mean, you know, that that I'm not being critical of it, and I completely understand that other people loved it. The sound, the way it was lit, the slow motion, the making love, the whole kind of process of of the of the thing. But in the end. I, it just left me a little bit cold because, as I say, I didn't relate to anybody in the story. That was my problem. I, I do empathise with that point, Jonathan, because I think I, I've t it's, it's needed three times, three to four times to actually begin to sort of appreciate and also just going on beyond episode one and actually going through the first season and seeing that in terms of how it develops and so on. Because, as I said at the start, I did feel that there were elements here which were clearly uh, echoing Blade Runner, they were echoing Alien, they were echoing a lot of dystopian science fiction over the last 30, 40 years. But I still think, again, it was, it was interesting. Robin, let's talk characters. Um, other than uh, the navigator, who, uh, who obviously you thought was interesting, anybody else catch your attention? Anybody you'd sort of like to share a cup of tea with or a bit of Welsh leek? What? 
um, I'll keep my leaks off camera and off the mic. Thank you very much. Um, well, I found the detective quite interesting. Um, you know, he seemed to kind of come across as the rogue ex-cop type wearing, you know, like a, like a hat which distinguishes him from everybody else. But you, you mentioned uh, a few um, influences, possible influences like uh, Alien and, and... The hat is significant. Mini spoiler alert, the hat is significant as the series progresses. There's a very emotional okay. aspect of the hat. Um, he's going bald and he didn't want Will Smith to punch anybody on his behalf. Anyway, um, I, I thought there was a little bit of um, Metropolis going on there as well. The 1922, 26, I'm sorry, um, sci-fi uh, epic, um, where, where the class system was very, very prevalent. Um, yeah, the, detec the detective, um, but as, as, as I said, I was sure that the navigator was going to become the Ellen Ripley of this series. But no. And I found that disappointing. I just hoped that they replace her with somebody who's like even better. And she wasn't just discarded for no reason. I don't think you should ignore Dominique Tipper's characterization of Naomi Nagata, who uh, certainly does emerge as one of the, the key sort of uh, folk within the whole field. Oh, I'm not uh, ignoring her. You asked me who my favourite was, and I'm telling you. This is true. She wasn't one of my favourites. <laughs> OK, let's move back to um, Pamela then. Favourite character from yourself, if any. Were they, all, were, were they memorable or not from the sort of point of view? Uh, and uh, we, we have the grandma actually written there. The grandma, I'm presuming we're talking about there, uh, that uh, it's, uh, it's Avarasalal, or, or Avarasalama, basically. Which, ne ne next question for you, Pamela, is um, how did you feel New York compared with, obviously, the New York we saw as basis of the United Nations in the 23rd century with New York where you're based at this very moment? Is it a place you'd like to live in? It seemed to be the brightest and the, and the, and the best uh, of, of the sort of scenarios for those people who are still based on Earth. Well, first of all, my, my favorite my favorite character was the green swain trilby. If an object can be a character, right? And I just can't find myself staring at it. Like, and not the little and, birds that fluttered outside the window. <laughs> um, as far as New York, as far as New York City goes, I mean, there are so many depictions of New York City, right? I mean, like what is future and Earth and America, etc. And uh, I don't know, it, you know, it, it's a take like. I was just really listening to everything everyone was saying. And I think if I had attended a class before I had seen this, I would have invested more in it because I think everything around it is, is so well thought out and done on such a high level, you know, even the casting, all of it, I'm sure. But when, when you just sit down to watch something, do you like it or do you not like, for example, uh, Mandalorian, you know, it, it almost doesn't matter if you love it or you hate it. Baby Yoda is so cute that you fall in love with him. And you'd have to be really have no heart at all, to or no emotion at all, to, to not fall in love. It's that character you invested in Baby Yoda and you don't care about it, anything else. You just want to watch him. Let's see what his little ears It's with. got Baby Yoda in. That's it. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't really invest in any of it, like, except for how visually beautiful it was. But it was kind of well, like I'm with Jonathan there. It was just sort of soulless and empty. Like it didn't suck me in. No pun intended. 
like, you know, like a black hole. Like it just didn't. Anna. <laughs> Which, that's uh, that's that's probably fine. Uh, Ade Nygaard is the name of the character that uh, Robin was wanting to, to push uh, for, played by Kristen uh, Hager. Um, Jenny, what about characters for yourself? Are, are you going for the uh, the detective, the, the noir-esque Joe Miller, played by Thomas Jane? Are you going for Amos Burton, played by Wes Chatham? Or, or indeed uh, Alex Kamal, uh, who was sort of breaking into a kind of southern accent. Or so he was going to offer sweet tea at a time uh, when he was actually getting in charge of the, the system. But uh, played by Kaz Anvar. What, what about yourself? Um, I'm still not very up with the names, but I like the captain of the uh, ship that was collecting the ice that obviously he, I, I have to say that before I watched this, I did actually read something about it. So when I actually came to watch the episode, I did actually have a little bit of an idea of what was happening. And because I did read that, it said that the first episode was a lot to take in. So I thought, well, I'll brief myself. And I actually found that quite helpful. But unfortunately, it didn't help me to remember anybody's names. But I liked him. And I liked the fact that he seemed to be kind of like quite a sort of a regular Joe. And then he came up in the night and he was listening to the radio message. And then he 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 put in the alert or whatever, which kind of to me showed that he does have this other side to his character other than just looking like a catalogue model. Well, that's Stephen Strait, of course, playing uh, Jimmy Holden, uh, who uh, his character is actually born in um, um, uh, the USA, effectively. So there are lots of connections that come through with respect to that. He wasn't actually the captain. He, be he became the sort of acting XO. Because yeah, obviously the, the, uh, yeah, the, not the captain, yeah, whatever yeah. he was. The, the, yeah. the former executive officer obviously started talking to plants yeah. and walking in all sorts of things and basically just lost it completely. He went space happy. Um, OK, Jessica, your favourite character. Um, I liked the detective. Um, I thought that his character was very even-mannered and how um, his whole relationship with the Belters and the identity, um, I wanted to hear more about it. And I liked how he was just constantly wearing his hat. So I think he was my favorite. <laughs> Hat with a feather in it, of course. That's also significant. Thomas Jane portraying things that he'd also, he'd also used in The Punisher when he was actually, uh, he took the role of the Punisher Marvel character back in the day. Jonathan, yourself, who would you go for? Well, I, I quite like the um, the EXO that went mad. Um, and <laughs> I, 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 I kind of enjoyed that scene, really. I like the fact that he was treading about in soil in his bedroom and 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 had a gun and shot a computer um in his own bedroom and um i was quite pleased to see that velcro still existed in in the um 24th century as well when they they velcroed him to a stretcher um and uh, generally i think that was probably my favorite scene so i think uh, i liked that actor as well i um, i think i've seen him in quite a few things was he um was he somebody i would have recognized i i sort of had vague memories of him playing mafia people in in other movies so um yeah, I, I enjoyed him very much. I liked uh, his character. Captain McDowell, played by Joe Pingue, I believe, who was uh, around. Or is it Pingu? Pingu. It, it could be Pingu. Anyway, it's interesting. We'll have to double check. But actually, that's that's not the character who's walking on, on soil. We'll need to, to sort of just, we'll set that as a listener challenge from that perspective. Because it's brought us around neatly now to, of course, how do we score this? Well, we score it in the way that we've normally scored it, on a quantitative zero to ten basis. Jonathan, what is your score for Dulcinea, the first episode of The Expanse. I feel a bit mean, but I'm going to give this a six for me. Not mean. Jessica. 
I think an eight. It's something that I enjoyed and would keep watching. Mm. I'm probably going 7.5 overall, but Jenny, what's yourself? 10 out of 10. There we are. This is the Jenny straight in from that perspective. And Pamela? A seven, yes. So we're sort of in the same, so nearly seven, not quite. So a kind of 6.985, perhaps, rounded up to a seven. Uh, and Jonathan. I'm oh, sorry, or rather, no, Robin. Me. <laughs> I've, I've had to think, think long and hard on this. And I think the way that I've come about it is I've compared it with another series that I was seeing for the first time on the same day, which was Marvel's Moon Knight which, try as I might, I could not get into at all. I tried my best to like it, just couldn't. And this came out as the stronger one. Um, had you asked me on Tuesday which my favourite would have been, well, of course, it's going to be Marvel, isn't it? But no. Um, all things considered, it was a strong start. I don't know how we go on from here. So I'm going to give it a seven. There we are, directed by Terry McDonough, uh, showrunner Naren Shankar, uh, and as we said, produced by Daniel Abraham, Ben Cook, and of course the authors, uh, Ty Frank uh, and um, Dan Novak, who had also connected together with the original writing, which is all good stuff for The Expanse. Um, next week, General Jack D. Ripper. See what we did there, Jack D. Ripper. Uh, just one of the major characters there. Peter Sellers plays multiple characters, including the name of the, of the, of the lead, uh, Dr. Strangelove. And we actually echo probably current contemporary events with respect to uh, what's happening in Ukraine and so on, as we actually have an accidental New York, uh, an accidental thermonuclear conflict set up with, of course, the wonderful Slim Pickens in full face plus in full force. And of course, Shane Rimmer, uh, formerly, of course, of this very parish until he actually ascended heavenwards also in the production. It is Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Love the Bomb. Uh, directed by Stanley Kubrick, the uh, next edition of uh, Residence Rewind, in which uh, it's not 45 minutes, but it is 90 minutes. So it's like twice the length of an episode of The Expanse. But what the hey? Uh, to Jenny Bill, to Jonathan Lindsley, to Jessica Burtis, to Pamela Sue Martin, and rather Pamela Sue Mann. I should have to just say that. It's been a, I, I, I sh I'm now actually going to be walking in soil for the rest of the evening, clearly. It's the excitement of the World Cup draw, which I know Robin was deeply impacted by. Um, Robin, Pierce, of course, thank you. And of course, keep on resonating. <laughs>